Christy Bilbrey. Right after college, I started my career in the Senate press office and then the White House. For the next seven years, I worked in corporate marketing before starting my own business. As soon as I did, the one thing I realized that none of those experiences taught me was how to market myself. Promoting yourself can mess with your head. Discovering brand storytelling and learning how to put it to work in my messaging saved my business. Once I learned this, I started teaching other business owners how to put it to work in their business as well. I created the Business That Story Built podcast to help strengthen the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we tell others. Audiences crave the human side of businesses. They want to get to know you, follow you, and interact with you outside of the buying experience. This can be intimidating to say the least. If you're ready to take your mindset and your messaging to the next level, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Thank you so much for listening today. I'm really excited to continue in this author series that we have. And I have a guest today who's actually a client of mine and very successful author. Really excited to take you behind the scenes a little bit into what her journey has looked like. And if this is something, again, that is on your list to write books, just, you know, what things that you can expect, things that you can plan for. And so let me tell you a little bit about Carrie. Carrie Drobin is an award-winning author and criminal and family attorney residing in Arizona with numerous appearances and interviews on national television and radio shows. She has established herself as an expert on the pathology of the criminal mind, motorcycle gangs, and as a mentor to new and aspiring true crime writers. Carrie received a a master's degree from Johns Hopkins University Writing Seminars, a master's of fine arts and juris doctorate from the University of Arizona. She's been a keynote speaker at gang task force conferences and a national speaker at various writing conferences across the country. She's also appeared on national television on CNBC's American Greed, A Widow's Web, A&E's, Gangland, Behind Enemy Lines, The American Heroes Channel's Codes and Conspiracies, Investigation ID, and The Discovery Channel's Deadly Devotion, to name a few. And you can go to her website, carriedrobin.com, that will be linked in our show notes. Carrie, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Christy. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah. So I was mentioning that you are the only author I'm bringing on who's actually worked with one of the top publishers. She works with Penguin Random House. And Carrie has a pretty unusual story with the way all this came about. So um, her approach is probably going to differ from a lot of your (laughs) approaches to how this works, but share just a little bit about kind of your journey in writing your first true crime book to, um, and I'm not even sure, were they the publisher for your first book or just later on? (laughs) Okay, well, you can share. (laughs) So I had a very circuitous path um, to get to where I'm at, and I I didn't really plan it. It was sort of um, very... uh, what do you call it? Serendipity, serendipitous. Yes. <laughs> um, I always was a writer. I always started out as a writer. Um, I started writing when I was seven years old. I wrote, um, I taught myself how to type and I wrote little stories mm. when I was seven. 
And then that eventually evolved into playwriting and poetry and fiction. So I did all of that in the many years that I studied uh, writing at Johns Hopkins and the University of Arizona. I wanted to get my Master of Fine Arts in Poetry, but um, it really the turning point for me really was I had started out to be an actress. <laughs> so it's like we're backing up one. Yeah. <laughs> and I went to an acting school in Boston and I loved acting. I loved everything about it. I love the whole public speaking part of it. But I took a, had a class one time with Edward Albee, really famous playwright. And the core, the, the objective of the class was to write a little scene and act it out. And so I wrote a scene, I was very excited, but I realized when I was doing it, I was so much more passionate about writing the scene <laughs> than acting the scene. Hmm. So, um, and I was advised by Mr. Albee after that, that perhaps I should be behind the scene and be <laughs> a writer. <laughs> so, so while one dream was crushed, um, the other one sort of was born and, um, and from there I evolved and went on to poetry. But so the true crime part of it came in really by happenstance and by accident because I had been, I had written two novels before the opportunity came knocking to write true crime. And, you know, I wasn't, uh, I was doing the whole going to writers conferences and, you know, trying to get a publisher, trying to get an editor. And, um, and I was approached by two undercover operatives to write a story about a landmark criminal case. I was a criminal defense attorney at the time, landmark criminal case involving the ATX infiltration of the Hells Angels. And so my uh, very first reaction to this was no, <laughs> no. And I was asked three times to do this. And each time I said no, and then it was hell no. And then finally I was like, maybe I should take a look at this, you know? So I, I absolutely did not know what I was doing. I had no mentors. I had no idea, no journalism background, nothing. Um, but I said, yes. And so that would be my first piece of advice to any aspiring writer is to just say yes, because you can figure out the details later but it's the opportunity that comes. And I think I was so ignorant at the time that I really didn't know what I was getting into, but doing that book, which later became Running with the Devil, which was my first book, really changed my life. And it changed the course of my writing career. And it really got me all of the gigs in television and it sort of evolved from there, but that was really my big lucky break. And I didn't even know it was a break when it came. Yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, it was amazing. Often disguised, right? Often disguised. <laughs> yes. Yes. So and I mean, I, sorry, but part of that, I just wanted to say the funny um, segue into that was I also didn't even have any idea how to publish a true crime book or how to get an agent. And so I, I really just sort of went about it very unorthodox and um, called this agent up at lunch because I figured this is when lawyers do most of their businesses at lunchtime. So I didn't, you know, write a query letter. I didn't send a portion of the manuscript. I didn't even write a summary of what I was doing. I just literally picked up the phone and called the agent and said, hey, I've been asked to do this crazy thing and this is the story. And the agent said, I think I can sell that. And so wow. that's how that relationship started. Okay. That's what I was wondering. So once it was written, you just went for it and 
just started. And that first call was the one who took it. That was the one who took it. Yeah, I was very, I was very fortunate, but I had also done a little bit of research into what kinds of books that at the time that I wrote running with the devil, there really weren't any biker books out there. There mm-hmm. weren't any books other than one, which was written um, by Billy Queen called under and alone. And that was an infiltration into the Mongols outlaw motorcycle gang. And so I studied that book and I studied him and I thought, how did he do it? And so that's was really, I guess if you want to say a mentor, that was my mentor, even though he didn't know he was my mentor. <laughs> so that's, that's why I learned how to do it. And from there, other writing projects came. And um, that was the, it, I, I realized as I was writing true crime, that that really was my niche. It's what I love to do. I love to tell true stories and I, I had a knack for it. Um, so when you, when this agent said, I can sell this, then that agent is who, did you start immediately publishing with Penguin Random House? Did you have different publishers? Like how did that, how did that part of the journey work? That part of the journey is very convoluted, but I, um, you know, most writers, in fact, this is what happened when I was a fiction writer, you go to writers conferences, you pitch your book, you try to get an agent that way. It's a very um, long, hard fought process. And I, I just bypassed all of it. And I, I bypassed it because I really believed in the story that I was given the opportunity to write. I didn't have a track record. I had nothing. And so I think part of it was this agent was a little bit amused by, mm-hmm. by okay. me. Um, but I also had, and this is also important, I think, for your, your listening audience, is I had a platform. And I, and so you have to have a platform that goes with the credibility of writing something. So if you've never written anything before, think about what your platform is going to be. Because what happened to me was when I sold Running with the Devil, or when my agent sold it, he sold it to a small publisher called Lions Press. And they were actually a, um, like a wildlife publisher. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Like, totally out of the room. like they did sports and wildlife and things. So, so my, my book didn't even fit into the realm of it, but they were willing to take a chance on me as a small publisher, you know, and, and really, I mean, nobody really knew very much about this genre at the time. It was a brand new genre, but the platform that I had was that I was an attorney and I was a criminal attorney. So I had a little bit of credibility there and I, and I had published two novels, but I had never done anything in this genre. So what I didn't realize, and in hindsight, probably would have been helpful is my first book defined the genre that I was going to write. So by producing and writing Running with the Devil, I then became this like biker expert. (laughs) I became, I became the author who wrote about complicated undercover investigations and so from there she didn't mention this but she was undercover for years in order to do this yes it was a it's a crazy case so that whole book became a crazy case because unbeknownst to me at the time my ex-husband was uh, was working in an undercover task force with the atf infiltrating the hell's angels (laughs) so the two of us and i was asked at the time, the investigation was ongoing. And so the reason I think that they chose me to do it was because I could keep the secret. 
I could keep it confidential. We didn't have any written contracts between us. We didn't have anything because we couldn't actually let anyone know that their story was being written or their story was being told. So it was a really interesting, strange process. And it, it has never been duplicated since. But um, so a lot of my material, it's not like I could go and research this. A lot of my material came from interviews, came from personal interviews, and they had to be very um, hidden. You know, I mean, I was meeting the operatives in garages, for example. I mean, I felt like a little bit of a deep throat, you know, yeah. <laughs> like meeting them in garages, meeting them in hotel rooms, meeting them in, you know, and, and having to tell friends of mine that I was meeting them in these places in case something happened, you know? Right. So it was, it was, it was a crazy, crazy thing, but because I really wasn't prepared for it and I didn't know what to expect, I just kind of went with it. And so, and I, I mean, I didn't even tell my, my ex-husband what was going on. And of course I didn't know what was going on with notice the ex part, right. <laughs> it was not good for the marriage, <laughs> but um, yeah, but I didn't know anything about his investigation either. And so the way that we both found out was, you know, my editor at the time was also kind of working with me hmm. to keep it under wraps. So, okay. you know, he was working with me to not publish it. At the time when I, I mean, I really started freaking out by the end of this book because my, the operatives got cold feet and they stopped communicating with me. So by the six months into the book, I had already gotten most of the material that I needed. And that's another tip I would give to listeners is when you embark on a, particularly a true crime book, particularly something that might be a little volatile is get your information quickly, mm. get it right out of the gate. Don't waste time you know, get the interviews, get the materials that you need, um, the confidential memoranda, whatever it is that you need right away, because there is a chance they're not going to be with you at the end. Right. That's what happened. And so I was really flying solo the last six months of writing this book and working with the editor. And we were all sort of, we were all sort of undercover <laughs> coming up with this book. And, and the extraordinary part about this whole case was there were pending criminal prosecutions and indictments. And I did not want to be, I mean, in literally in, in one year, I thought I was going to get disbarred and I was going to end my writing career literally with one book. And I was so freaked out by the end of this and I couldn't tell anyone. I mean, not, my girlfriends thought I had given up writing, you know, because I couldn't yeah. tell them I was working on a project and I wasn't working on a novel and I was part of a critique group and suddenly I wasn't. And so it was, it was just the, the craziest experience that I've ever been through. But the day that the book was supposed to come out, the day was the day I found out that all 16 prosecutions had been dismissed. Mm -hmm. So the serendipity of that and the coincidence of that was extraordinary. And that's yes. what allowed me to publish that book. You know, so it was a, it's just a completion of a lot of different things happening at once. And, so I think part of it is, you know, you have to kind of, um, you know, I think writing true crime is like a hybrid, you know, it's uh, it's part guts and part tenacity and you just sort of have to go for the jugular, you know, you're just kind of going and flying by the seat of your pants and you're really not sure, you know, that people are going to be on board with you. Um, you know, I, I just really didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if my family was going to disown me. I mean, obviously my husband you know, we divorced, but not over this book. There were <laughs> several books later that happened. But, but you know, one of the crazy things that I was not prepared for was when you write a book like Running with the Devil, you know, it, it profiled the investigation into one of what they call the big five outlaw motorcycle 
gangs, the Hells Angels. And so what I was not prepared for was that the other outlaw biker gangs were going to want their stories told. Oh, yes. And this was before Sons of Anarchy and before anything, you know. So so un- but unexpectedly, I got a call after Running With the Devil was released. I got a call from a member of the Pagans Motorcycle Club based out of Philadelphia. And that was an amazing story because it was the insider perspective of a person growing up in an organized crime family and what it was like for him. And he had been recruited by his father's nemesis to murder his father. Oh my gosh. That book became Prodigal Father, Pagan Son. Mm. So it was a, yeah. So each book sort of piggybacked onto the next one. And I wound up writing about all of the big five outlaw motorcycle clubs. And then in that and through that, I wound up writing about the mafia and the symbiotic relationship between the outlaw motorcycle gangs and the mafia. And so it culminated in my last book on the biker gangs called The Last Chicago Boss, which was really the story about the godfather of the Chicago outlaws. And so, oh yeah, so it was, it was interesting company that I kept and I, I learned a lot each time from the books that I wrote. And I think what I really came away with is this real sense of like why I write these books, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't, um, it wasn't for sensationalism. It wasn't for any, it was basically to understand a subculture and to um, really like, you know, figure out what the message is, like, what, what is it that I'm, I'm hoping to convey, you know? So it wasn't, I mean, it really wasn't entertainment value, which was surprising to me because that's what my novels were. It was more, this is a story that has real meaning and people can learn from and, um, you know, and so it really, it kind of gave me my purpose and, and what and why I was writing. And, and from there, evolved into the true what I call you know the psychopathy the psychopath that I mm. was just fascinated by and wanted to write about and so that's what has kind of been that transition so I don't I don't really write about biker gangs anymore I speak about them and I do television shows about them but I don't that's not my primary focus anymore so I've evolved into <laughs> another like what I call the vanilla crime, you know, the crime that is murder and mayhem and psychopathy. Well, I, I think it's interesting that you said it really wasn't until you were into these books, sounds like multiple books, that you kind of had this revelation of this is my purpose, this is why I'm doing that. And I think that's also important for people who are writers to know that they don't have to have every single thing figured out before they even get started. Like you, you are deep into being a published author when you're like, okay, I can see how looking back, all these pieces came together and this is the purpose behind it. And in the journey, you were just kind of taking advantage of the opportunity, trying to do the best job you could and let it unfold. And I feel like um, since this audience is primarily business owners and they be, may be writing more kind of business oriented that feeling like I have to know everything, have to have everything put together before I even get started. And so I really appreciate how 
your journey demonstrates the complete opposite, that it's, you know what, if you know you want to write and you're given an opportunity, take advantage, see what you have to learn and see where it goes and what that meaning is to you. And then you can kind of determine that. So I really, I like that because I, I think there are so many people who want to be a writer and they just feel overwhelmed with, I can't yet. I have to do all these things and know all this stuff. And, and you don't. Right. You really don't. And I, I, I mean, I really can't stress enough how important it is to, to value the story that you're telling. And I know that your, your show is business, the business that story built. Right. And so, and I think that's a, a wonderful um, framework for this because the story, the stories that I tell, I mean, I, I really write sort of a hybrid true crime and memoir. And I love the, the idea and the genre of memoir because it is at the very core, it's authentic. Mm-hmm. And so I think the story that you tell has to be from the soul. It has to be something that you are passionate about, that you want to tell, and that you feel like there's value in telling the story. Because you know, stories at the very root of it are really for other people. And that's how right. I look at it. You know, it's like you're you're telling a story to 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 convey something, convey an emotion, convey a common experience, or maybe convey, as in my case, an experience that a lot of people may not be aware of. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of that subculture, that underworld, that, you know, where it's just it's so intriguing to to try to see like why why would people devote their life to living a, a an alternate identity 24-7, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'm I'm working with the the undercover operatives who do that and the sacrifice that they make and also working with the, the outlaw bikers themselves and why do they devote themselves? You know, here they are, these, these supposed rebels, and yet their structure, their business structure, if you will, is so conforming. It's so restrictive. It's got rules and regulations and, and, you know, rank and file and platforms. And it's, it's just fascinating to me how, how much alike they are. And yet, you know, how much we, we think they're so different and, and they're not. And so that's what I really learned from a lot of that experience. And I think in my, and to kind of answer your question, how did I evolve from like Lions Press, which was the small press, you know, I went from Lions Press to St. Martin's Press, which was really a wonderful um, publisher for true crime. Because as I started to evolve and get more experience, what I did was I followed my editor I loved my editor. I found somebody that I could work with that got me, you know, that allowed me to express myself in in the voice that I really, you know, owned. And when he moved from Lions Press to St. Martin's, I followed him. (laughs) And so, you know, and so all of my biker books came out of St. Martin's. Hmm. And then, you know, Aurora, which is my, my latest book, when my editor left St. Martin's, I needed a different a different tack. And so Aurora, you know, when you reach a certain level in, in book publication, you have agents that will come to you with projects. And they'll say, you know, I have something that just came across my desk. Would you be interested in doing it? And so that's what happened with Aurora. I was asked by my agent at the time, would you be interested in in writing the story about the mass murderer, you know, who walked into the movie theater in Aurora, Colorado and shot it up. 
And I said, absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, really? You know, I mean, again, I had no, this wasn't my, my background. I mean, obviously crime was and writing right. about it, but it wasn't, you know, I didn't really know about, you know, the psychopathy behind, mm-hmm. um, you know, mass shooter. And so I became an expert in that. And so it was always that sort of like fascination and, and falling in love with just the, the subject matter itself that really drove the books that I wrote about. And so that's, that's kind of like, I, I would just encourage listeners to, to really follow your passion because mm-hmm. you're going to spend a lot of time mm-hmm. immersed in what you're writing. And so you really have to love the topic and love the research element because it's just, it's going to consume you. Well, and I think that's good too, is that you didn't look at it. You didn't say no because, oh, I couldn't take that project on because I'm not an expert in that area. I feel like in both cases with the biker gangs, with the psychopathy of a mass murder, um, you let the project and the research be what developed your expertise. And you did spend years in each of these. And just like you said, it consumed your time. So that in and of itself is where you develop the expertise. So I think also for people who want to write, if it's an area that they feel like, I'd love to learn that area, but could I really write? Would people trust me as an expert because I haven't? And just knowing that the act of doing that is what's going to develop your expertise. So not to shy away from something that seems interesting because you don't already have, you know, a background specifically in that. And, and yeah, so I think that's a great, great example of that as well. Yeah. It's all, it's all an ongoing learning process. And that's the part, that's the part of writing that I love so much is that it is a process. It's not, it's not the destination really. I mean, it's wonderful to see the book published and, you know, people buy it and read it. But for me, it's really that whole process Mm -hmm. of finding the story, because that's the other part. Like you can get a whole set of facts, but you have to figure out what the story is and finding the story is where the value is. It's, it's what, what are people going to want to hear? What are they going to want to take away? And so I always have an objective when I'm writing. It's like, what are the takeaways? What, what do I want to communicate? And, and so that's helpful too. It sort of helps to frame the the story because you can get a set of facts you can either spit out a a book that sounds like a journalistic report or mm-hmm. a police report you know or you can write the same set of facts and make it a story and that's kind of what i do as a lawyer too <laughs> like i mean you can get bad facts and you can spin them into a story that is compelling and interesting and gets people to act and so that's really the process it's the same process it's just using a different medium. Yeah, I, I like, so going into the process a little bit, and um, I'm sure that's, has. do you feel like your process has varied by the book or do you feel like you still have kind of a similar structure that you followed regardless of the subject? I think the process is always evolving. And I think that, um, you know, when I started with Running with the Devil, I had absolutely no process. I was, <laughs> I was like... I was learning as I went and it was a little crazy. And with, uh, you know, as the books evolved, the biker books had a general, um, had sort of a common denominator in that there really weren't research books out there. You know, it was all interviewing skills and 
figuring out how to ask the right questions because you really, in most cases, you only got one shot. Yeah. You know? So you have to know the material, you know, the language enough to really get the interview that you want. And in some cases, I would have to be there, you know, fly them to the scene so that I could actually mm. see them in their own um, setting. So, so that was an interesting process. But then I had, um, you know, a case where, well, Aurora, for example, I mean, I, <laughs> that was a lot of reading transcripts and um, interviewing the psychiatrist involved and listening to hours and hours of interview tapes of the killer and trying to get into the mindset of that. But it also required a lot of extra research in like, what is it, you know, all these mass shooting cases, what do they have in common? You know, it required research into um, gun laws and, and, you know, things like that. So it was a really much broader reach. So I think it really depends on the project that you're working mm -hmm. on. Um, but the more information you can get from the variety of sources that you have, the better the product is going to be. Well, and I also like the fact that this wasn't the only thing you had going on. <laughs> you also have your own uh, legal practice, your own firm. You're also a mother <laughs> raising kids. So just talking about, you know, for those who feel like I have this, maybe they've already started a little bit, any kind of tips or recommendations you would have to help complete it when they feel, I mean, the overwhelm, even, even if this is the only thing you have going on, like you said, there can be so many things that you have to explore and investigate. And that alone can feel like an enormous mountain, but that paired with, oh, I have to get my kids, you know, to their sports games and lunch made. And, oh yeah, I have, um, you know, clients and court cases. So in terms of really staying on deadlines and, and just completing it, do you have any tips for that? Yeah, actually a big one. So I always, um, you know, so when I started this whole endeavor, I, I was a, a still am actually a full-time lawyer. Um, cause one of the things that I, I realized early on is that it's very difficult to make a living as a writer. And so, you know, so I, I had to put that whole, idea aside. And for, for a while, I mean, I didn't get this for a while, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to make enough money as a writer and then I'll give up the law and then blah, blah, blah. And then, no, you need a way to make a living. And I didn't have a choice. I mean, I, I supported my family and I had two children that, you know, I, I had to be around for them. So I was a, a litigator. So I was in trial all the time and the court cases would start eight. Oftentimes I didn't get home till past five o'clock. So where do you write during that time period, right. right? And uh, so you have to make writing a habit. It's a habit. Like, and and by the way, I used to work out religiously too. <laughs> so I was like, it's the only way I could keep my, keep my sanity. So I fit that in too. So I was a full-time mom, full-time lawyer, full-time fitness nut, you know, because I always believed in having strong mind, strong body. You know, I, I didn't want to, you know, fall into that habit of like, you know, having really bad habits. And so toward that end, writing for me is a habit. I, mm -hmm. I wake up every day at four in the morning because that wow. literally was the only time that I had. I, I couldn't write any other time. I was too tired at night. My kids demanded a lot of my time, you know, at, at night. And so so I, I made that my witching hour. 
So I would get up at four in the morning and I would write from four to 7 a.m. So it's three hours of time every day, whether it's researching, writing, revising, you know, promoting, whatever it was, I knew I had three hours. And so, you know, and when I was on deadline, I would find somebody to watch my kids <laughs> um, because sometimes I'd be sitting, I used to, I can't say this on the air, but I used to have a, a phrase that I would say a lot, you know, you'd have a chair, you, you know, put your, put your butt in the chair, right. You know, because it's not going to get done unless you're sitting in that chair. And so sometimes in the beginning, a fear would dictate it. You're like, mm -hmm. Oh my God, I'm on a deadline and I, I've got to get this in because I don't want to be the one writer that doesn't make it to the deadline. You know, I'll be dropped by the editor. And so there would be times where I'd be 20 hours sitting in the chair, oh right? You know? And so the other thing that I did was um, some writers will do this and this didn't work that well for me, but some writers will do word count or page count. Mm -hmm. per day. And for me, it was hours. So whatever works for you, like if you're going to have, like you have to do 500 words a day, which isn't that much, by the way, <laughs> you know, or, uh, five pages a day. I mean, to me, that kind of pressure, it was counter counterproductive for me. So for me, it was like, just put your butt in the chair for three hours a day and something's going to come out, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's like a word, a sentence. And I was a slow writer too. I was not a, <laughs> not one of these people that thought quickly and could spit it out, you know, and some days nothing came and it was really discouraging. But, you know, if you make it a habit and you, you realize that, you know, I, I really, really, wanted to write like this was my life goal my dream my passion and I didn't I was not willing to put it aside for when I retired or for when my kids got older or for when you know whatever when I divorced you know I mean like I, I really <laughs> I just made it a commitment yeah. and I think if you're well disciplined I mean most writers are very disciplined so if you're if you're disciplined and you're committed to the project no matter what you can do it, you know, mm -hmm. and you don't put an, you know, another excuse on a face. That's what I used to say. Don't, don't like tell yourself that you can't do something. So a lot of it was sort of mind over matter. Yeah. And by the way, one time I actually was writing two books at once oh my and doing death penalty work. So it can <laughs> be done, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it's just, it's just a lot of commitment. And I think that sometimes when you're on a deadline, you know, like there've been times when I've had to rewrite a book and I've had five weeks mm -hmm. to rewrite it. You just, it just depends how badly you want it. And you're yeah. not going to know that until you, you get a project that you can't say no to. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, I do want to touch on promoting your book. So when it comes, when the books come out, do you have any tips that have been helpful for you from, you know, obviously there's, there's different pieces involved with who's, who's promoting the book, but when it comes to you and taking ownership, because at the end of the day, you know, you're the author, it's your book and you are focused on getting it out to the public. Do you have any tips um, that have been helpful for you that have helped with promoting your books? Yeah. And it sort of goes along kind of in tandem with making writing a habit and not a, a, a hobby. That's the difference. So with promotion, I mean, writing is a business and mm -hmm. the, the piece of that business is promotion. And the one tip that I could give listeners is never, never, ever rely on your publisher to do your promotion. <laughs> it will not happen. And I, and I can speak from experience. 
I mean, here I was with Random House, right? And and they had a publicist. And each and every time that I've had a book come out, I've been assigned a publicist. And, you know, they've got a ton of books. And the only person that knows your book the best is you. And the only person that cares about your book the most is you. Unless you're one of those like one percenter people, you know, that just churn out bestsellers. And you're in the middle, you know, most of us are in the other category where we have to work really hard. But the other thing I would, I would suggest is, and that has worked well for me is to have, to do a campaign. So if you can, you know, there's only so much lifeblood in a, in a book that comes out, people have a very short attention span, it's usually two minutes, but if you can get a campaign going, that is probably no more than three months, mm-hmm. um, you can, you can highlight one book at a time and you can really push it out there and not confuse it with a whole bunch of other things that you're trying to promote. So you want to just promote that book. So, you know, and it, and the promotion starts nine months in advance, nine months to a year in advance. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's, it's just an ongoing thing, but if you have the mindset that it's a business Mm -hmm. and you have to take ownership in your own business, you know, you're, you're going to get in the habit of doing that. So that's like the second tip. The other tip I would, I would suggest is you want to be consistent you have a brand that is consistent because again, people's attention span is two seconds and you know this better than I do, but <laughs> where you have to like, you know, your everything that you put out is going to match your brand, your voice, your message. So that, you know, if, if you're hitting them seven times a day or seven times a week, they're going to remember something about you. Like, I mean, I once had somebody tell me, this is a really stupid thing, but somebody told me that everything that I put out is either color coded in red, black, or gold, and and I and this was before I even actually had a brand, you know, a color coded hmm. brand. But that kind of became my brand because I thought, wow, that is something. You know, everything that I put out, no matter what, is going to have those colors in it. So at least they can identify that, you know. So that's like a really small, simple thing, but it it helps to be consistent across the board, and it's easy to do. And you know, and you're oh, you're selling yourself, and your book is your product. Yeah. I like, I like that tie-in because kind of bringing it into the brand and there's promoting the book, but then there's also promoting you as a brand and kind of having that more holistic and long-term look at, yes, I want to spend, I've put so much time and effort into this book. I want to get it out there to as many people as I can, but even more important, if, if, if your goal isn't just a single book, if it is writing multiple books and using a book to kind of propel into the next project, then it is a brand. Or even if it is, you know, writing one book, how that feeds into your brand. So um, I like that you're kind of segueing into when you did create a brand and what factors did you take into account and what do you think um, looking forward now in terms of your brand is most important in terms of the projects that you pick and just the way that you say, um, this is what's going to represent the brand best, as opposed to maybe getting distracted by things that aren't as helpful. Yeah. I mean, and, and keep in mind, I mean, I, this was all trial and error. I didn't really have, (laughs) I mean, I really didn't know what I was doing when I started this out, but I, I just began to realize, and it really was from trial and error that really, um, what I was selling was, was me. Mm-hmm. And that was a hard thing to really wrap my head around initially. But I realized that with books, particularly most of, 
us that write books, we're, we're looking for a platform or a venue or something, some place to be able to market and sell our books. But people are not going to just buy the book. They're buying what you're, what you're selling. Mm-hmm. So along with the book promotion, what I discovered was speaking. You have to be able to talk about something whether it's your, your book, you know, I mean, I, I don't usually talk about the story that I've just written about because I want them to buy it. Right. But, right. I'll, <laughs> but I'll talk about like maybe the behind the scenes or, you know, what went into it, or I'll talk about some aspect of, of writing or some, you know, what it was like to, to interview an undercover op, something like that. So it, it ties into my story, the value that I'm giving somebody and that's what they're buying. So they're tuning into me they're tuning into my story and then they're buying the product. And that was, took a lot of time for me to figure that out. <laughs> so, so toward that end, you know, when you have social media, for example, and you're posting, I, I never post or rarely post, Hey, here's my book. Go buy my book. I will post something personal about me, something that makes me relatable, that makes me vulnerable to the people that I'm trying to market. And the other really important thing is you figure out who your target audience is. And for true crime, my target audience is, hate to say it, but women between the age of 35 and 55. So I'm targeting people like me. Mm-hmm. And that's that's sort of the message. And I and I have to really always think about, you know, what is it that that I, they would want to hear? You know, right. nobody likes to be sold to, they like to be, you know, told to. It's a story they want to mm-hmm. show. So that's that's a really important piece of advice that, um, that I kind of learned the hard way, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that is, I think that's so, so critical knowing your target audience, what are they going to find interesting? Cause you're right. It's not just, okay, this is my target audience. Great. It's what do you do with that? Well, what do those people enjoy? What do they find interesting? That's what I want to share and make sure that is my brand is exemplifying those things. So very good point. Anything else we didn't touch on any final tips that we didn't cover that you think would be helpful? Um, The only thing I would add is that I do have a writing workshop that I put together um, and it really has a lot of tips, particularly on how to write nonfiction or true crime, if you're ever interested in getting into that genre or what's involved in that. But it's it's actually tips for multiple, um, you know, it's, it's good writing tips for anybody that actually wants to write and, and embark on that as a career. It talks about how to get an agent, how to get a publisher, um, you know, how to make writing a habit. I actually have tips and schedules in there. So it's, it's actually a pretty comprehensive course um, that is online. You can find it on my website carriedrobin.com. Perfect. Yes. And you can find, we'll, we'll link to um, her website and to Amazon, to her page where you can find all her books. If you're interested in biker subcultures or mass murders or, you know, all kinds of crimes and future titles that she's working on now. So yes, definitely. Thank you so much, Carrie. Really appreciate just your share your willingness to share your journey and what's what's been helpful for you my pleasure thank you so much it's been really fun thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next week to succeed in business you need brand awareness authority and trust to get those you need visibility podcasts offer each of these 
it's a unicorn platform because it gives you the scarcest resource in digital marketing, attention. Did you know that 80% of podcast audiences listen to the entire episode and more than 50% consider buying from a brand or individual that they discover on a podcast? Building your own show and audience takes years. Grow faster by guest speaking on other podcasts to get more leads, build your SEO and strengthen your brand. To learn how my agency can help, email me at hello at christybilbury.com.